Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. They break their bones. And uh, uh, these uh, broken bones can lead to many other problems that not infrequently wind up in the, the death of the people so that uh, it's important to find out if you have osteoporosis and uh, prevent getting a fracture. And uh, uh, of course, then of course, the most important thing is to have exercise, keep your muscles as strong as possible. Uh, then there is an article that also talks about the falls that uh, you have when you're over 50 and how uh, important it is to take care of them right away before they can lead to more severe consequences. But I think they, uh, they also reemphasize the importance of exercising weightlifting. Uh, so I think it's, it's good information to have. And I think that uh, uh, the other thing that they talk about is if you fall, how important it is to uh, take care of yourself if you fall and how important it is to get rehab if necessary and also to use uh, uh, those things that help you to be confident, uh, whether it's a walk or a cane or whatever it is that gives you confidence as you get it. Uh, but so is avoiding, we've talked about that in the past, but uh, I think it's good to be reminded uh, time and time again of the uh, significance to as you age that there are certain things that go along with the aging process and uh, one of the things is osteoporosis and softening of the bones that is treatable and that when that is combined with exercise and weight bearing uh, it minimizes the likelihood of you having uh, breaking your bones when you fall okay i guess uh we can put up the first. Uh... Um, before we go to the first um, slide, um, the reason why it affects women more, is that because of the relationship with the uh, decrease in estrogen? That's what they, they postulate, they hypothesize that, yeah. And they think that that's why women have four times as often uh, osteoporosis in men why they, yeah. But they think they, the loss of the estrogen is part of it. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm going to go to the first slide. Uh, I'll give me a second. 
Now in Chicago, do you guys have any effect of the uh, of the haze? Uh, no. Of the Canadian wildfires? No. Okay. No, no haze out here. The, okay. In the east, we we are very much victimized by it. Sorry to hear. Yeah. Well, this is something that uh, we've talked about uh, loneliness and uh, uh, regardless of the cause, it's something that uh, is causing havoc in all ages. Uh, of course, it's increasing the suicide rate in teenagers as well as uh, olders. And uh, uh, the fact that uh, isolation is part of the uh, treatment for the COVID, uh, this uh, is something that we have to deal with. And it's interesting in this article, they talk more about the, brain, the blame game than they do about the real issue, which is the uh, Social isolation and uh, and depression and anxiety that goes along with it, and uh, uh, this this article takes opportunity to to talk about the fact that uh, some of it is a result of the COVID policies, but those same COVID policies have saved lives, and so uh, I'm not uh, all of the uh, all of that impressed by the negativity of this article, but more impressed by the fact that uh, uh, social isolation and social media are two, two things together that have wrecked, have caused havoc on the American population and on, on the world, as a matter of fact. And uh, so, so as we uh, uh, try to help those who have been so adversely influenced by these isolation policies, we have to get them back to uh, communicating with others. And uh, of course, the damage that has been done by the social isolation and social media is, is difficult to undo, but, but nonetheless, uh, it is, uh, something that we have to be aware of, the fact that that communication between others is helpful. And uh, so uh, now that the uh, epidemic has gone from pandemic to endemic, it's time for us to really get back to, to living life uh, and uh, and, and and staying in touch with others. I think that's really the, the take home message. Uh, this article tried to, to blame everything on our, our own policies. And uh, it's, 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 it's almost as though it, we didn't have COVID, <laughs> but we did have COVID. And the steps of dealing with COVID caused us to change our behaviors. And some of those changes cause us to have negative consequences. But it's not like we didn't do it for a reason. And, and right. Like we didn't do it for a good reason. But uh, I think it's important to uh, 
realized that loneliness is something we had uh, before COVID, but it was intensified and magnified by the uh, policies that were put in place. And now that the endemic, the, the, the pandemic is gone, it's time for us to go back to seeing our doctors, go back to seeing each other and uh, uh, cutting down our, our, our reliance on social media, which has many negative consequences. Any comments on uh, this article? If not, I think let's go to the next article, which is less, uh, less uh, dealing with the, with the, the uh, blame game. It's, it's interesting that, uh, that uh, one of the things that uh, is very common these days is, is, is not so much dealing with the cures of ills, but, uh, or the prevention of ills, but in blaming people for things rather than trying to just to solve them. And I think that uh, the more we talk about preventing the need in the first place and uh, healing ailments, I think the better off we are. Now, this is an article that just talks about that uh, COVID has uh, devastated the United States and the world. And uh, that our life expectancy is not lower than we ever thought it would be. Although it is clear that uh, we suffered from COVID more than any other country, more than a million deaths in the United States alone. There have been about 7 million deaths from COVID across the world, but we had more than a million, more than any other country. And as such, uh, it has it's devastated our life expectancy. Uh, most countries uh, uh, have life expectancy well into the 80s, uh, which uh, uh, ours is actually drop down into the 70s, so. So this then, of course, uh, is uh, frightening to all. And so uh, we have to try to start doing those things that uh, helped us to uh, have a long life expectancy. Uh, restoring a Exercise, uh, those are part and parcel of it, along with what we talked about, uh, having So, uh, and it's interesting that uh, uh, other countries have uh, not experienced the same decrease of life expectancy that we have, but then uh, 
they haven't had to do that. And it, it, it's kind of embarrassing that we're one of the richest countries in the world, but yet have uh, such a low, relatively low life expectancy. Although it certainly is far better than it was uh, 60 years ago. Well, but I would suggest still, one of the reasons why we have a uh, worse health in populous countries, which is pretty bad, expenditure for health care. Go ahead. We can't hear you. Oh, you can't, can you hear me? Yeah. Now we hear you. Okay. I would suggest one of the reasons why we have worse, worse health um, outcomes in the United States is because, um, let's see, in comparison to income, we have the cheapest food in the world, but probably the worst food in the world. A lot of uh, U.S. food products are banned in most other countries around the world, including prepackaged ground beef, any United States pork, United States chicken, United States corn, United States milk. It's um, Those are just a few of the products that are ban banned around the world. Uh, for example, uh, with United States chicken, it's, uh, it's washed in chlorine. And that's the main reason why other countries ban it. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I would, you know, as I mentioned before other times, uh, our, our food processing is uh, very problematic to the rest of the world, but it keeps the price down. And so we have low prices and we enjoy our groceries. And the, uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, these are all issues that matter. And it, it's kind of uh, ironic that uh, as rich as we are, we have uh, a relatively low life expectancy. And of course, this, this does not even address the fact that we don't have uh, uh, health care that is uh, uh, thought by the World Health Organization considered a right. We don't have a right to health care in the United States. And of course, that's one of the greatest criticisms of the United States is that health care is not a right. That we have uh, institutionalized racism and other issues uh, that uh, result in uh, uh, good health not being a right in the United States. That's something that uh, I'm hopeful that we can address in the next few years. Our initial efforts have uh, failed. And so I guess we have to try again to uh, constitute that. It's gonna be interesting what happens with the next election to see whether we take a step, another step forward or we go backwards. Oh, man. Any comments, additional comments? Uh, Dr. Callender, um, you know, getting back to Daryl's point, this article 
doesn't talk about um, the poor food conditions. It mostly talks about, um, you know, other stressors. Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, institutional racism and politics and, um, you know, things like that. But in, in the disadvantage of uh, uh, the health system, the disadvantages, talks about all of those things. But as Darrell was saying, this article doesn't talk about food at all. Right. But I think having said that, food in general can be uh, brought up under, um, you know, politics might fall under politics because sometimes, um, you know, the poor neighborhoods uh, have second and third hand groceries with the rich neighborhoods have first class grocery stores and so forth and so on. So Correct. it's a, you know, it's a, it's an issue that you can't put your finger on one thing. Uh, maybe you can, because if you go back uh, to a certain point, and I believe, okay, uh, up until a certain point, we were leading the world in longevity. Now we're falling behind. And uh, I believe that point coincides with um, with the rise, with, with changes uh, in in food products in the United States. Uh, processed foods, you know that that hit the ground running along with uh, Swanson's TV dinners in the '60s, and um, the uh, the amount of processed food has just been uh, increasing exponentially since then. Uh, uh, when you look at the the rise of uh, pesticides, antibiotics, and uh, and and growth hormones in our foods, uh, those are things that uh, really took off since the 80s. But since those things have taken off, and those are the main reasons why a lot of food products are, are banned, a lot of United States food products are banned around the world. But since those things have taken off, you know, we, we eat a lot of things. Uh, we take it for granted, like uh, farm-raised salmon, um, which is very carcinogenic. Uh, so, you know, there's not a lot of uh, media pushback against the quality of American food. And uh, like you, you mentioned, John, about our politics, um, you know, if, um, if politicians are getting campaign contributions from the food industry. Uh, there's never going to be, uh, just like uh, the NRA, uh, they're not pushing gun control because they're paid not to. They're not pushing more quality regulation in food products because with campaign contributions, they're paid not to. And so there is a definite tie-in with, with politics. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's unfortunate this article doesn't talk about the, the impact of American diet and the, the food industry on our longevity, but um, I, I think it's a, a very strong factor. Well, I think it's multifactorial, and I think you've mentioned many of the factors that are important, but they all play a role. 
Let's go to the next one, next article. I think one thing that we can say is that in, in this group, we have emphasized the, the importance of, uh, of diet as well as exercise. Yeah, the article doesn't talk about uh, Americans being sedentary either. You know, lack of exercise, doesn't talk about that either. Right, it's many factors, so, yeah. Okay, so I'm looking for the next article. One second, please. The next article is coming up. This is a this is a tragic article in many ways that. Uh, uh, we talk about uh, the technology being wonderful, which it is, but it also is uh, uh, responsible for some egregious mistakes. And this talks about uh, a telemedicine vendor that sent letters to about 400 patients indicating that they had cancer. And uh, actually this was incorrect. Can you imagine receiving a letter telling you that you have cancer when you don't have it. It's, uh, it's uh, to say it's anxiety provoking is an understatement. Uh, and uh, so uh, this of course uh, is uh, something that uh, you, you'd like never to happen again. Uh, and uh, once the information goes out and you've been damaged by it, how can you take it back except that uh, to promptly uh, identify that it was an error? Uh, of course, uh, this is something that uh, was a mistake and, and humans make mistakes and so does technology. Uh, but, uh, mistake like this telling people you have cancer because you've done some gene sequencing tests is uh, frightening. You know what, I wonder whether this uh, Grail Incorporated, you know, a telemedicine vendor I wonder, you know, it, those letters were automated and they were sent out. I, I just don't understand um, how that happened. I really don't. Well, um, <laughs> wherever you have great improvements, you have great uh, mistakes as well. And so uh, the only difference is that uh, you reach 400 patients instead of four. And 
they've corrected it, but uh, you haven't corrected the anxiety and the, and the horror that 400 patients have experienced. At least it's temporary because you can write them and tell them, well, it was a mistake. But that, 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 that is uh, something. So let's go to the next article. It's just- uh, uh, Yeah, one other thing about this. Uh, back in the day, we used to say that um, uh, whatever you, if you put bad stuff into the computer, uh, bad stuff is gonna come back out. You know, input, output. And so, uh, so it's most of the time, I believe it's human error. Um, I don't know what the rest of you guys think, but. Well, this time it was a, a technological error. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, uh, the, the machine sent out the letters. Yeah, yeah but. It's a software it, error. So the way they wrote the code yeah. uh, incorrectly said the code? They I said mean, they had, yeah, that, that's the problem. There was a problem with writing the code is what they're saying. Yeah. So, so it wasn't a matter of, you know, you have, you have the code that's set, then you have data input. So there wasn't data being input that produced a bad result. It wasn't garbage in, garbage out. The, the code that was the structure for the, for the software had a had a, a flaw in it that that produced that generated the letters so they say they fixed the flaw now you put the data in which are the test results and you should get good results going forward yeah but my bottom line was about the fact about human error but that wasn't human error that was that was a well, code error yeah but humans write the software okay let's go to the next article okay mm -hmm. Don't, can, don't the humans write the software? Well, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah. Now this is an interesting finding. Whether it's uh, going to stand up or not is another question. Is that, as we know, uh, we are having an almost epidemic of early colorectal cancers in people who are under the age of fifty. And one of the things that uh, this article is pointing out is that those people who use aspirin uh, were found to have a lower risk of early onset uh, right. colonic cancers. Whether this is a coincidence or cause, it's certainly uh, uh, something that has not been identified before. And because uh, of this finding, uh, it's going to make people think twice again. You know, we talked about taking aspirin because of uh, prevention of thrombosis, but then we found that aspirin also caused bleeding. And so uh, uh, the, the number of people who were taking aspirin decreased, but now with this finding, it may well lead to uh, younger people anyway to even taking an aspirin to prevent uh, colon cancer and the adenomas that change into cancer. But it's, it's an interesting finding whether it's gonna be something that's gonna stand up for the long run. Uh, they, they have adequate data. So you're talking about thousands of 
patients. So, uh, but over time we'll be able to tell. But uh, anyway, uh, it was provocative enough to uh, get the information out that, uh, that aspirin is associated with uh, decreased incidence of colorectal cancers, which had never been reported before. Dr. Gamba, um, I think aspirin is a double-edged sword, too, because I've been hearing lately that um, somehow aspirin has a, a negative effect on stomach. Yeah, uh, because aspirin doesn't also increase, uh, it affects the platelets. And it causes bleeding as well. And uh, the reason that you have uh, uh, the aspirin that is protective uh, that is not released in the stomach, but is released in the intestine, is because aspirin gastritis is a common side effect. And for those people who have that, uh, they have the aspirin that is not released until it gets past the stomach into the, the intestinal tract. But uh, it still uh, does uh, affect the platelets and is associated with some, some increased incidence of bleeding. So you have to balance all of that with, uh, with its side effects. So yes, it is a double-edged It's good and it also has side effects that aren't so good. So, so whether you take it or not depends and upon. My position can't seem to make up their mind. <laughs> you know, some are saying take the aspirin, some are saying don't. Uh, I don't have to take it anymore um, because they use it as a uh, coagulant, maybe a blood thinner or something too, don't they? Yes. Yeah, it has its side effects. So, uh, so you have to. Weigh the balance, it's a balancing act. Are you gonna afraid of the bleeding? And that's why many of the studies that looked at uh, heart attacks and so forth, uh, balance it with the incidence of bleeding. And so yeah, it may prevent some strokes, but it may cause some other strokes. So, so uh, it's, uh, as you mentioned, it, it, it can be a double-edged sword. And, uh, uh, and, and, and so it's recommended that you really talk with your doctor about whether or not you should take it. But this is a new, a new finding in which uh, aspirin and the NSAIDs uh, actually decrease colon cancer. That was not thought about before. I would like to ask Mary Ellen, was your dad taking um, aspirin? No. My dad wasn't taking any uh, medicine except for glaucoma. Mm. He went from, from, from eye drops to chemo. But didn't, yep. 
he have at one point he had colon cancer? Yeah, he had colon cancer, and he had it. He, he had it. Uh, uh, you know, he had the surgery, had it removed, had a colostomy, and then before he died, they were thinking about reattaching him. But no, he never took. He never took. Uh, any medicine except for, because uh, he didn't have high blood pressure or high cholesterol or uh, anything. He didn't have arthritis. He wasn't having pain anywhere. He went from being, you know, super healthy to super sick. How old was he? He was he was ninety he was eighty nine when he got colon cancer. I see. And when well, he died, he was he was he died at ninety three. We had a he had a long healthy life. Huh? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I've been skating by. The reason why I've done well is is I've gotten some of his good genes, but I had better I had worse habits. He never drank or smoked either. And his, his weight was always, you know, he was lightweight. Okay. Let's go to the next article then. Uh, before we get to the next article up, uh, I wanted to ask a question about um, the exam for um, colon cancer. They have this new thing out called Cologar. Have people heard of that? Yes. Yes. Okay, so how do, how do people feel about Cologar? It's all right, but it doesn't replace colonoscopy. Uh -huh. Because if, if you have a positive test, you still have to have a colonoscopy. If you have a negative test, it, uh, I think it's helpful. As a screening test, it's helpful. Yeah. I don't think it replaces colonoscopy, but it's a, a test for people who uh, don't want to have colonoscopy, and if it's negative, that reinforces their uh, uh, desire not to have it, but that doesn't eliminate the fact that you could have adenomas in the colon. But if the test was negative, and you decide you don't want to have a colonoscopy, it, it reinforces uh, the idea that you may not need to have it. The, the doctor told us, my brother and I, that we need to, uh, that Cologuard is not good for us because we're a high risk. Yeah, if you have a if you have a family history of a cancer, then it's not uh, recommended. Now, this is an article that uh, you know there's been a lot of uh, interesting publicity about uh, uh, organs and uh, uh, that the uh, allocation system is good, bad, and different. And one of the things that uh, has come up is that uh, the allocation system is problematic and it's responsible for deaths of some patients. Actually, the truth of the matter is that the 
number one problem in transplantation isn't the allocation system, it's the shortage of donors. And it's this, this shortage of donors that uh, results in uh, close to 17 people dying every single day because of this donor shortage. Now, the allocation system is an attempt to try to uh, maximize and associate those people on the waiting list with organs so they don't, so they can get a successful transplant. And so this article just points out that uh, as a consequence of the system, uh, more people are getting organs, uh, but that's still not enough to, 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 to uh, help with the uh, disparity between the number of people who are waiting for organs, which is close to 100,000, over 100,000, the number of people who actually get organs, which is around 40,000. So you've got that big number of 60,000 gap, which is the real problem. And so until we get to a system that allows us to have uh, grow organs or uh, use organs from animals and other things, uh, we we have to uh, recognize that uh, uh, the shortage of donors is the biggest problem. However, uh, the fact that this all allocation system is increasing access accessibility to uh, organs is positive. So I just wanted to to put this in there because there have been a number of articles that uh, to me unjustly uh, try to blame everything on the allocation system when the real problem is the shortage of donors. Uh, that is true for, for uh, all organs, but particularly kidneys where the longest waiting time is associated. Waiting time for kidneys, if you want to have a deceased donor transplant, ranges uh, from four years and upwards, which is why living donor transplantation is the most desirable, because you don't have to wait so long. And also the incidence of uh, graft acceptance is, is higher. But I, I wanted to put this in there just to balance the scale a little bit because we've seen a lot of articles recently that talked about the fact that uh, the allocation system was really the problem. When it, point of fact, the allocation system is maybe to some degree, but the biggest problem is the shortage of donors. You can go to the next slide. I just wanted to make that point. Any comments about that? Um, uh, Dr. Callender? Yes. Um, there are a lot of ethical donations are concerned. I know I've heard a lot of bizarre things about making prisoners donate not in the United States. And, and paying, I know, and paying people. No, I'm saying I've heard discussion. Paying people to, 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 but there are a lot, there are not too many altruistic people. 
that will give donors, you know, that will give organs. And even when they do give organs, you don't want the, the person to meet the person that gave them the organ because sometimes that's bad dynamics. So it's all kinds of uh, all kinds of kind of sticky issues with with donor retrieval and and acceptance. How, well, I, don't, how, I, don't, I don't agree, but uh, I don't believe. I, I don't. I don't agree either. I'm saying all those things are bad, but I'm just saying, how do you get past that? Well, how do you get past that and encourage people to do it? with no reward other than a thank you well that's all we because well okay that's all that we've ever had and right uh, and i think that uh uh it remains altruistic uh and we want it to stay that way as a matter of fact uh it is illegal in the united states to buy and sell organs and uh right. that's where we want it to be and uh uh we I think it should that. be. I think it should. I think you're correct, but I, I don't think people are as good as they should be. Well, I think I, I, I actually am surprised that we have so many. We actually have a significant number of of altruistic donors who actually come forward and donate. Uh, actually, to me, I'm surprised we have so many, uh, but uh, because we do have people who come forward and uh, offer the organs to anybody who wants them. Uh, and uh, the fact that we have some is, is positive from my perspective, uh, because uh, you, people are, aren't as selfish as you might think. And so to have a number of people who come forward to do it, and we do have a significant number of people who actually come forward and donate because they think that uh, uh, the reason they have two kidneys is because one kidney can be used to be given to somebody else. Because that's only true if you have a normal kidneys. And a lot of people who have kidney disease, particularly a lot of black people who have kidney disease and people who are over the age of 50. So, uh, uh, but the ethical issues that exist in transplantation uh, are more prevalent outside of the United States than they are inside the United States. Uh, because the uh, donor issue uh, is in the United States is kept free of uh, of uh, payment. Mm -hmm. Outside of the United States, that's not the case. So many people will leave the United States and go to other places where there is uh, uh, the buying and selling of organs. Well, like they say, you you miss 100% of the shots that you never take. And so the flip side of that is the more that you encourage donations and, and dispel erroneous myths about the donation product process, the more likely we are to increase the number of possible donors. So, you know, things like uh, people believe that if they donate, they can't get into heaven or that, uh, you know, there's some type of harvest program that they take your organ before you're dead to kill you to get your organ. You know, those are myths misconceptions that people have and so they get the they get the right information and plus that they have a chance to do a good thing with their bodies when they're gone you know and it's so it's it's a good thing if we just 
uh, it's information. The more people that are educated about the process, uh, about a possibility of doing a good thing for their fellow man, of being altruistic, then you can't increase the number of donors. Well stated. Uh, this is an article that talks about uh, something that we just found out that uh, COVID positive donors can be uh, transplanted without concerns about uh, getting COVID. <laughs> of course, now that COVID is less a problem, but uh, uh, during the COVID ep pandemic, many people received positive uh, COVID donors, but they didn't realize that until after they had gotten the test back, which, and uh, those people who actually were COVID positive did as well as those who were not. So uh, one of the things that we learned after the fact is that uh, COVID-19 positive donors uh, are safe to use for transplantation. There's no increased risk of rejection, no increased risk of kidney failure. and uh, so, uh, so anyway, this just uh, lets us know that uh, uh, there's no fear of getting uh, COVID from uh, COVID positive donors. More education and information goes right along the lines of what uh, Dal Armstead just said. Okay, we can go with the next article. Uh, any comment or discussion about this? Uh, I was surprised that this is the case, uh, but uh, as we live, we learn and uh, uh, we take advantage of it. Um, Dr. Kalanda, I would think that it depends on um, the severity of COVID because, you know, we talk about some people who have light COVID and severe COVID. Haven't we talked about that before? Yeah, but the data shows that it didn't matter whether you had light COVID or, or, or not. Uh, that the uh, virus was not transmitted via the, the organs. Hmm. I think we, oh no, we talked about that article before. Hold on one second. I'm looking for an article that we haven't discussed yet. Um, we talked about um, Okay, there were two articles on um, aspirin lowering the risk for early colorectal cancer. Um, okay. We don't need the second one. Okay. All right. Well, that's all the articles. I, well, there was a, there was an article I sent you about chronic constipation. Chronic constipation. Yeah. Um, uh, which is a subject that uh, uh, we're going to have a talk about in about uh, 
two weeks because we have a, a specialist who's going to talk to us. But it's a, a problem that occurs in the uh, people over 50. It's, it's very common and probably all of us on this uh, uh, podcast uh, uh, have had constipation at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the uh, different treatments for constipation. And there's new guidelines, as a matter of fact. That's what this article was on, on the new guidelines for constipation. And one of the things that uh, probably is, is as important as anything else <laughs> is a proper diet uh, and uh, uh, having enough fiber in your diet is probably one of the most important aspects of, of it. Uh, and uh, of course, if for some reason you don't have enough fiber, uh, what is constipation? How and when, when, when do you consider it constipation? Is it constipation because you haven't had a bowel movement in 24 hours? Is it constipation because you haven't had a, uh, because you have hard stools? Is it constipation? Constipation, and and uh, for the most part, uh, the article pretty much uh, considers it as constipation if you uh, don't have a movement for 48 hours or more, or if your if your uh, stool is hard. Uh, and uh, I have a number of people who who, uh, in spite of the fact that they try to take stool softeners and they, they take uh, medications for constipation. Uh, they still have this as a problem. Uh, any of you have any, what you call solutions for for avoiding constipation? Because, you know, when you look at it, uh, theoretically, you should have one or two bowel movements every day. Uh, and uh, when you go beyond that, then of course it's, uh, it's not frank constipation, but it's it's uh, not healthy. And when you have hard stools, uh, and then they come out, they can uh, cause uh, cuts in your interrectal canal. And so avoiding it is important. And so having a high fiber diet uh, and, uh, uh, and ensuring that you your bowels move uh, at least every other day uh, becomes important. Now, that there are people who actually have addicted to laxatives because they don't have eat a lot of fiber and they don't have bowel moves regularly. And so they have to take laxatives every day or every other day. What are your thoughts about that? Because I think this is a common problem of people over the age of 50. Okay, well, I'm over the age of 50. I'm 74. I've been vegan for 20 years. Uh, I get six servings of fruit a day. I avoid bread and uh, dairy. Well, of course, no dairy products goes without saying for being a a vegan. And uh, I go twice a day, if not three times a day. I never miss a day. Uh, No hard stool. Uh, Always an easy go. No straining. Any, anybody else who has that kind of uh, healthy uh, bowel habit? Nobody else. 
<laughs> is that because she don't eat that much fruit? Is that I, I eat fruit. I just nobody else is that regimented, I don't believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a great role model, I tell you. Yes, that. he is, but <laughs> I I I my diet I know is probably probably some of my problem. I don't um I like dairy. <laughs> I eat a lot of ice cream. I eat a lot of <laughs> chips. I eat. <laughs> <laughs> but I always keep prune juice in my refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> it so works well, huh? It works very well. So, <laughs> so if if it gets to be over a day or so, I'll just drink a little can of prune juice. <laughs> Keep it moving. <laughs> Any other comments? I think uh, drinking a lot of water helps. Being hydrated helps. They, again, I don't drink a lot of water. I drink a lot of things, but I don't drink a lot of water, which is not good, I know. I saw somebody's lips moving, but I didn't hear any words did somebody Dr. Else? calendar yes i take uh i i my uh calcium receptors were damaged when my thyroid was removed for cancer so i have to take uh lots and lots of calcium every day so as a result of that even though i eat i eat about four pounds of greens a week i eat about four oranges and two apples a day, I still have constipation. So I, I use a stool softener every other day and that, that helps me. Which, what's, which stool softener do you use? I use Ducalax. It's a new one and you it's, chew it. It's not it. new, that's an old drug. Well, they, it's a chewable okay. one. All right. Not the pill. Okay. But it it works well. It works well Good. for me. But that's 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 my bane of my existence is the constipation. But that's you know that's if if that's the worst thing that happens to me, I'm doing good. Any other comment about uh, constipation? And, uh... There's a uh, medicine that you can take that will help keep you regular. Um, what medication are you speaking of? Um, for me, what helps a lot is my magnesium intake. Okay. Yeah, that helps me. And of course, one of the, interesting enough, two of the laxatives that they mention are magnesium products, magnesium mm. sulfate and magnesium oxide. Mm. Right, so. Yep, I take uh, um, magnesium. I used to take magnesium oxide, which is good. But now I take magnesium glycinate. Okay, all right, which is also good. Okay, well, you have a number of uh, varieties of ways of dealing with, uh, and I think we've we've heard uh, <laughs> at least three or four different ways of doing it. Uh, although uh, uh, Daryl's was uh, most impressive, <laughs> effortlessly. <laughs> Twice a day, <laughs> no strain. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> well, well, it's um, it's even more efficient since I started using the squatty potty. Um, I forget which doctor suggested that, but I, yeah, I love my squatty potty, and uh, I even have a guest squatty potty in a guest bathroom. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you come yeah. to visit and you need a squatty potty, you can try it out. <laughs> okay, Daryl. All right. Okay. Well, I think that um, uh, we have, I think June the uh, 22nd, we're going to have a presentation by a colorectal specialist who I've asked to talk specifically about uh, constipation because I have a number of uh, patients who, uh, in spite of uh, taking, uh, well, of course they don't stick to the diet that they should, but uh, but they have problems with constipation and hemorrhoids and other kinds of issues that uh, pop up when you get older. It's interesting when you read the Bible, you you read that uh, uh, that one of the plagues was hemorrhoids. Oh. Uh, yeah, and uh, how uh, that plague was uh, uh, problematic to to many, yeah. but uh, and we don't talk much about, you know, when we talk about many things, we don't talk much about hemorrhoids. Uh, have any of you ever had hemorrhoids? They're no. horrible. No, yeah, pretty common, and uh, they're horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and of course, there's so many different treatments for hemorrhoids. Of course, preventing them by Daryl's kind of diet is, uh, prevents hemorrhoids from occurring. But uh, when they occur, they can be treated by surgery or by uh, different medications. Okay. Uh, any other comments or questions? Uh, I I just wanted to I wanted to show you uh, I um we I presented all the articles that we had for the month of June that I that I was able to capture from my email, but of course uh, when you went to uh, your grandson's graduation you know there are articles that we have missed and so um if you don't mind i just want you to okay take a look at um some of the articles that yeah, we've got time for for about three or four more okay so let's take a look at uh some of the past articles that maybe we have not gotten before so um give me a second and i will show you well he's uh here we go we got it so now um if you look at the dates in this column all the ones in june we did today um and the ones in May, I remember talking about some of them. For instance, the man 
who had par uh, paralysis and they put an implant in his brain and he was able to walk. Um, but if you look at May the 28th and May, and May the 24th, Dr. Calendar, have we covered all of those? And other people can chime in too. Well, let's look at, look at Bob Chelsea. Uh, May 20, uh, 24th. Okay. Yeah. This is uh, the first African-American a uh, 58-year-old male who had a face transplant. And uh, he has been so excited and has praised God for the fact that he has received the face. He was in a fire and uh, lost his face. And uh, after uh, having uh, turned down one face transplant, received a face transplant from a donor. And he's uh, blessed to have had three years since his face transplant. And uh, he's uh, been so enthusiastic uh, and grateful for his face transplant. Now, what's different about face transplant is that, uh, and uh, when you have the what they call uh, uh, the new plastic surgery, is that uh, you have to have a special permission to uh, uh, donate a face, and uh, uh, and then if if somebody offers you a face, then you have the option to accept it. The first uh, donor he had, he felt the complexion was too light, so he turned it down. But the second one was uh, a match for him from, from his complexion. And so he accepted it. And so now he's uh, three years after the transplant and doing well. He's still also the oldest uh, face transplant recipient. Right now we're doing uh, uh, composite vascular allotransplants of the penis, the uterus, uh, the uh, uh, hands the, uh, and the abdominal muscles, uh, the penis, the uterus. Uh, we've had close to 30 live births as a consequence of uterine transplant. So this is another type of that uh, we're now doing uh, called composite vascular allotransplantation in which we, uh, and the other organs that uh, we mentioned. Any comments or questions about this uh, marvelous? Uh, yeah, I just read that uh, it says. I just read that it says generally the donor in facial transplants are brain dead but still have heart function, and the face transplant recipient arrives at the hospital where the donor is being kept and preps for the surgery. So I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Wait a second. Yeah. Right, and, that, and most of the deceased donors are uh, donors for whom the uh, okay? heart is still beating, but the brain is uh, 
not yeah. alive. Well, is is this the picture in the, the small the picture to the right? Is that the face after? Really? Oh, he uh, I'm looking. I, I'm going to try to see it pulls up. This is gone, Ma. Okay. Uh, I was just wondering whether that yeah, was his yeah, face after yeah, the yeah. transplant. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. Oh, wrong now. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting to call you. Yeah, let me, let me get back to that. I've met him and... Uh, uh, I'm and he, and he looks, I didn't really uh, think, think he looked any different from anybody else. So, it, uh, well, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't hear the question. No, the background noise. Yeah, um, I wasn't able to enlarge the, um, the picture, I don't think. I wasn't able to enlarge the picture, but I do think the one, the one on the right, I do think that was his, uh, his, his last picture there. This one here. Can you see that? You don't see it yet. Hold on. Hold on. I do believe that last picture on the right is the final picture. Yeah. Now, I imagine, <clears throat> Dr. Cowan, you were saying about the permissions on both sides of the fence to get a facial transplant. In other words, he said, uh, the donor has to give permission? Special permission. In other words, uh, the uh, normal permission that you give when you sign a donor card and those kind of things is not suitable for uh, composite vascular transplantation. So if face transplant or penis or uterus, you have to have special permission for that because that's separate because uh, uh, it's more complex. So you have to have a special consent form for that. So I imagine that the um, social security number gets involved too, I guess. No, I don't think so. No. It has nothing to do with it. Let's go to another article that you want to pull up. Okay. He is one of the most uh, uh, enthusiastic people I've met to uh, organ transplant recipients are very enthusiastic, but as a face transplant, he is uh, Overjoyed the fact that yeah. after the burning and all that, he could have his face back. Okay, that was May the 24th. Yeah, there was an article about uh, preventing breaks and falls in older adults. Oh, that's May 24th. Talk about this one here. 
now the two slides above it. Or do you want to go to the doctor's eight secrets to staying young or preventing falls, breaks and falls? Which of the two do you? Oh, yeah, this one and that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we'll do both of those. All right. Preventing, preventing breaks and falls in older adults. Go up to yeah, that one. Yeah. <clears throat> this fits right into our article we talked today about osteoporosis. And, uh, and they talk also about the fact that mostly women and older folks have osteoporosis. And the article goes on down to talk about uh, what we mentioned today already about the uh, fact that this leads to bone fractures and talks about also uh, sometimes people are reluctant to use canes to get around because of their egos and some even have to use walkers uh, and they feel uh, uh, embarrassed by the fact that they have to use these aids. Mm -hmm. And it points out that uh, using these aids can give you confidence and keep you from having an additional fall. And, and so the psychological effect of these aids is uh, something that people have to deal with as well, in addition to the visual problems that you, you have. So uh, one of the things that you have to have to be aware of is that uh, what is their vision? Because if they can't see, they'll fall. If they fall, they break their legs. And mm -hmm. what happens after that is not uh, pleasant. And it talks about grab bars and showers and rugs that aren't right side. And then of course, the importance of exercise and building up the muscles, yeah. Uh, confidence is a major fact. Then, of course, the medications. Uh, we talked about the calcium and the uh, vitamin D. If you have osteoporosis, phenates, uh, which uh, is part of uh, the therapy for osteoporosis. So uh, this then is uh, uh, also uh, there are ethnic differences and who falls and, uh, and all that. But I think the issue is uh, that some people are reluctant to take some of the medications for a number of reasons. And uh, I think another article uh, called it a, a bone attack and considered it uh, like a heart attack. And that was true as well in the previous communication. Because the, when you fracture a bone, uh, it's not taken care of and you're not up and out, up and about pretty, uh, pretty 
rapidly, this can lead to pneumonia and lead to death. So, so those people who have these kinds of fractures often within two years are gone. And so it's important to, to get up and, and about as quickly as possible. Dr. Callender? Yes. At one time, um, they were uh, promoting Fosamax. And I know one time I used to take it every month. And then was that because of, of um, they, they found out that it, it wasn't doing what they thought it was doing? Well, I don't know what phosphomex is, but by phosphonates they still use. I don't know exactly what phosphomex was by phosphonate uh, as treatment. Uh, judging by the name of it, it, it sounds like it's probably uh, one of those medicines. It might be. I don't. I don't know, but I know the biphosphonates are still, still one of the key therapies they use for treatment of uh, osteoporosis. Okay, go to the, the next one, uh, next article. Okay, let's see what we got here. All right, so. That was uh, that was preventing breaks and falls. The other one is the rate of falls among seniors. You want to go there? No, there was another one. Uh, there's another article. Uh, this is one is preventing, and this one is the rate. No, there's another one. There was another one I was looking at that uh, different. Okay. Um. While John is looking for the article, um, I have had two hip replacements, but I never had a fall or anything like that. So does your hips just wear out? Yeah, arthritis, <laughs> if they're having the pain. You're having the joints. Yeah. Is that why you had joints? I had pain. I don't remember them saying I had arthritis, but I well, guess yeah, that, that's the, except that's it's the pain it in the okay. in the joint that uh, requires the hip replacement. Yeah. I have a, a friend of mine who was ninety-two who just had uh, a hip replaced and she's doing very well as well and the key as as you know is uh getting it done and uh, getting up and about and getting physical therapy thereafter uh because that's that's the key to success yeah yeah the pain is gone that's the main thing that, right right that makes it up is this yeah. you, 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 
got the article now, so let me go to that and then I'll ask. You're, you're back to, no, ask your question. Okay. We, we were in, we're in uh, oh, yeah. May of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my husband is having some pain up around his neck area and in this area. He just wondering if arthritis is can get in any joints or any pain area. Yeah, just make sure it's not a heart attack because uh, sometimes uh, current uh, uh, any any joint uh, can cause pain. But uh, if it's on the left side, it's the jaw. Uh, if 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 it's if if if, it, if it's on the right side, that's less likely. But if it's on, if it's on the left side, then one of the differential diagnoses is cardiac. Uh, but uh, arthritis can uh, occur in any joint, whether it's the cervical, the neck, or the uh, mandible or so it can occur in any joint but when you have it on the left side uh, you have to be sure that it's not the heart so uh, we were able to find that in may it was a may 25th article may uh, i've got um two articles about falls and no but there was you know there's another article that was different i not oh about falls topic. What was it about? I can't remember, but it was. It well, was between uh, the two articles about. Right, it was between the two. Yeah. Oh, okay. Between. All right. Let's see what we got here. It was the eight secrets. Uh, that's. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Okay. Eight All secrets. Right. Eight secrets. All right, I got it. Not that we need those. I mean, we got a uh, Daryl to tell us. How he's, <laughs> how he's at seventy-four and looking like fifty-four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you want him? I want him to exercise. I bet you. Wow. His eight secrets: staying young. <laughs> uh, well, he, he's got nothing on us, huh? One second. If we advertise it, all right, there we go. Okay, uh, and we—I guess we all know that staying physically and mentally fit is keeps you happy. And then I think getting older. The issue is to have a quality of life. And uh, so he, he's sharing some of his, uh, as you go down. Okay. You know, yeah, go down. Yeah, I was trying to get rid of that advertising, but I'll go. Don't worry about it, just go down. Okay. Yeah, and he talks about, uh, <laughs> very similar about the, the skin. And, and I think we talked about this actually. And, uh, uh, we talked about the skin blocks and the UV rays. And I think uh, we spent a lot of time talking about this.
skin damage. And of course, with this haze, the, the sun can uh, cause a lot of UV damage if you don't have uh, sunblock. Sunblock, right, yeah. And the uh, next one is, uh, you can go down to the next one. And we talk about this all the time. Uh, so that uh, most of the eight things that they're talking about, we, we are doing exercise, of course, the 150 minutes a week minimum. Uh, along with lifting weights. That's the part about as you age, your muscles uh, weaken. And so lifting weights is important to do. How many, how many pounds do you lift, uh, Daryl? Well, it depends on the, depends on the routine. Uh, let's see, I, I alternate, uh, like say, uh, I'll, I'll lift weights three days, take a day off. Day one is going to be chest and biceps. Day two is going to be uh, uh, shoulders and uh, back. Uh, day three is going to be uh, legs and triceps. And so um, let's see, like say with uh, uh, bench press, uh, I'm normally doing uh, bench press 80 pounds. I'll do uh, three sets of uh, 15 15 bench presses a set. Um, so I'll start off at, uh, I'll go uh, 60, 70, 80 pounds. Um, well, you know, uh, but there's a lot of lot of uh, exercises I do uh, where I'm using um, as low as 10 pound weights uh, to start off with the warm up. Uh, I'll go like uh, uh, 10, 15, 20. But uh, yeah, it just depends on uh, probably the max weight that I use is on um, uh, squats. Um, you know, I got a squat bar. And so for that, I'll, I'll do 120 pounds on a squat. Uh, but it's, um, let's see, I, I would say that um, all of my all of my lifting is, um, it's, it's about uh, a third less of what of what I used to do 10 years ago. Um, you okay. know, uh, with less risk, risk of injury, I was, I was kind of running it close to the edge. Uh, but you know, now I don't have to. Okay. And ne the next item is eating, uh, wisely, which is, uh, <laughs> they emphasize the same things that Dal always emphasized, staying away from processed foods and, uh, sugars they don't emphasize uh they emphasize the plant-based food but they don't emphasize staying away from uh dairy but uh other than that they emphasize the vegetables fruits there uh, uh there's a youtube uh channel run by a dr bobby price and uh, he's a he's a black medical doctor, and uh, he talks about uh, nutrition. Uh, that's the basis uh, for his YouTube channel, and he puts out uh, probably about uh, a couple of different a uh, uh, couple of different shows each week. But um, I, it's 
it's not telling me anything new, but it's kind of like uh, solidifying information that I already had. But I, I highly recommend him. He's a black doctor, looks to be about maybe 40 years old. Um, but, you know, we don't crack. So he could be he could be 60. He could be 60 for all I know. But, uh, yeah, I, I encourage everybody to, to check him out, Dr. Bobby Price. And then this the fourth item we have is uh, substance abuse is a major no, which. Uh, there's so many substances that are abused nowadays. So. But of course, nicotine was the commonest one. But of course, alcohol. That glass of wine looks delicious right there. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like red wine, and it looks like it's sweet. <laughs> and then uh, talk about getting the appropriate screens. We talked about the uh, colorectal screening and the prostate screening and the mammogram and the uh, pap smears. Pap smears. What we sometimes don't emphasize is the fact that you should take your blood pressure readings at home with your own sphygma manometer. Uh, and also the fact that you should have, uh, after the age of 50, you should have a urine protein analysis. Because many of the uh, People of color over 50 have uh, protein in the urine, which means kidney disease is coming. And that can be uh, reversed or prevented from progressing by uh, recognizing it and, and taking medications where necessary. Condition. Then, <laughs> uh, of course, the vaccines. Uh, one of the things now, of course, is the herpes. I'm sorry, the uh, herpes anybody over 65 is supposed to get in addition to uh, COVID and flu and the pneumonia box. And then they, he says, have a positive attitude, to, which I think is always important. Uh, but, but I think uh -huh. as important as meditation, uh, meditation uh, to me is just as important as physical exercise. Uh, and uh, so I, the same amount of time, actually, I think I spent so it, they both come hand in hand. You know? Realizing that uh, your genetics are important, but that more important than your genetics is your lifestyle. And uh, uh, if you take supplements and medications, you should be sure that your doctor is aware of what you're taking. So he's not blindsided. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't take him. It just means your doctor should know about him so that the medications he prescribes do not uh, conflict with them. 
So these are some of the, the tips that we've actually already discussed, but I guess the nerd to discuss them again. Any other comments or additions to these that you want to give us? It's interesting, he says there's no anti-aging pills. There aren't, and I think that actually these suggestions you've given are actually anti-aging uh, because uh, living long is, is important, especially if you have a quality of life as you live long. And so these uh, tips, I think are helpful. Any other comments or additional ones you wanna mention that we haven't mentioned in this article? Um, they advertise metformin a lot on TV. Say what? This uh, metformin. On they, a diabetic medication, yeah. Yeah, they, they uh, advertise it a lot on TV. Yeah, and therefore what? And so uh, is that one of the, uh, one of the medicines that has anti-aging property? No. Okay. It's, a, it's actually a good medication for diabetes. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think there, there is a, such a thing as a anti-aging. Uh, and and he, he talks about a lot of our uh, research is going into rapamycin and these other drugs, but uh, they don't really have any demonstrated effort, demonstration research-wise that these actually are anti-aging. There's a lot of uh, articles on each and every one of these, uh, but uh, to say that they are actually anti-aging is a stretch. Uh, but so much so that he, at least he, he includes them in the category of anti-aging, but there's, when there is an objective research that allows you to say that uh, any of those four drugs uh, have been uh, proven uh, to be anti-aging. Uh, and in order to be anti-aging, you have to have something that, uh, that really affects the telomeres and, and uh, lengthens them. Because what happens with the telomeres is they get shortened and as you shorten it, your, your aging increases. And uh, there, isn't, there isn't sufficient evidence yet to say that metformin, uh, rapamycin, which by the way is a, a immunosuppressive drug that we use for transplantation. Uh, whether any of those that they mentioned are actually anti-aging drugs, but they are. Uh, I remember one of our, uh, it's 10.30, so I guess we should close, but I remember one of our uh, guests was also involved in the RSV research. Were any of you involved with that? that the new I'm vaccine? in a study. Yeah, you're in that study? Well, they, apparently it, it, uh, it's been effective so that the vaccine is not available. Yeah, yeah. They you, gave me the vaccine, and now they're, you know, it has now been approved. Mm -hmm. So it apparently, uh, 
This is the first RSV vaccine. The previous vaccine attempts failed. But this recent one that you were involved in was successful. And so now that vaccine has been approved by the FDA. Any other comments? Is that for, Go ahead. Is that for children too? Did they approve for children or just adults? That was approved for adults. Yeah. What's it for? What's the vaccine for? Uh, the, the, the respiratory syncytial virus. Oh, okay. Which is a cause of a, a type of pneumonia in uh, elderly and, and very young people. Okay. But they did the research on the adults. So Marilyn, you were taking it and your doctor told you to stop? No, no, they gave me, I'm in the study for the RSV. Oh. Oh, okay. They gave me the shot and then I have to, you know, they check me every month and ask me about my, you know, how I feel and symptoms and stuff like that. But they gave, gave me the shot. Yeah, mm -hmm. she's one of the, the people who now make, has made it successful so that it is now uh, FDA approved. Right. So thanks for your efforts. Yeah. You're very welcome. Thanks for your service. Uh, <laughs> do you, um, are you going to start taking it and they're going to give it to you free since you were in the study? Well, no, I, got already it. Got it. I already had it. She already has it. I already okay. had it. Right. She's, she's the reason why it's successful. Right. <laughs> and she got some money. No, they don't, they don't pay you for that, do they? Yeah, they do, but not much. Oh. <laughs> yeah, McDonald's money. Is... Well, it's not fair for me. $80 a month. No, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's more than my retirement, so. Is it a one-time shot or is it a yearly shot that you get? No, it's a one-time one -time shot. shot. Okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs>